whether you're wholesaling it or whether you're going to buy a rental property. This is what makes you money analyzing a deal, making sure you're giving the right offer on a property. The Deal Machine REI Podcast. Everything you need to know to get started in real estate investing. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm David Lecko, and I've got my co-host, Ryan Haywood, who actually got his very first real estate deal using none of his cash or credit and made $8,000 in 14 days when he took a real estate investing challenge. And I'm here on my side uh, with nine rental properties. So taking different approaches, Ryan's done almost 400 deals. And I've learned a ton from building this app that's helped people close 10,000 deals since 2017. And we're here to talk to you about the very next step in your real estate investing journey. Now, we've talked about getting started. We've talked about lead generation on past episodes. We've talked about direct mail to reach those distressed property owners and getting a deal that is discounted so that you can make some money We've talked about answering calls and how to do an appointment with a seller. And so now we're going to talk about a very important step. So Ryan, I'm really curious, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, you did misspeak once though, it was $8,500. And the $500 makes a difference. Yep, makes it a does. difference. I mean, on a per day average, 14 days, 8500 bucks. I mean, that's hundreds of dollars more per day that you actually earned. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what would you buy with a couple hundred extra dollars per day? What would I buy? Mm hmm. Mm, if you just all, all of a sudden a had a, like 200 bucks sent to your house every day, what would you buy? Um, dude, I don't know. There's, I'm like, can it be anything or would it does it have to be something tangible or intangible is intangible a word mm -hmm. untangible? You, well it could be something like a new carhartt hat with a different color for every day of the week like the one you're wearing right now but different colors yeah, they make um, different colors right or i could do a dewalt hat because dewalt are cool tools that we use Oh, that's great. I just answered the question. I would buy more tools. With yeah. $200 extra a day, I'd buy more tools. Mm -hmm. So I just bought a espresso machine. And so mm -hmm. I would probably, yeah, I would have to answer that because that's just what I bought. Um, so I'm really excited. I haven't used it yet. It's going to take some artistic and some development of skills. I don't know how to use it. There's a lot of buttons on it. So I'm yeah. waiting until this weekend to give it a try for the first time. Oh, I'm excited for you to give it a try. And when you master it, I'm excited to give it a taste. Yeah. Come on over and I'll give you a taste. I just took an espresso class, actually, mm. and I learned some very basic skills, which helped me realize why my drip coffee at home doesn't always taste the best. You, you're supposed to measure it and follow a recipe when you ground your beans. I was just grinding it for whatever time on the timer felt great dumping it all in the filter and then letting the water run through. But in my espresso class, I realized you're supposed to follow a recipe. And if it's too strong, you, you measure out the same amount every time, but you just change the coarseness of the beans. And then that determines how fast the water flows through, which makes it stronger or weaker. I'm going to make a confession. I know this is totally 
off topic, but I the grinding of the beans became such an important part of my coffee that I went out and bought a two thousand dollar coffee grinder. You did? That's no joke, dude. Two thousand dollars? Are you serious? Two thousand dollars and. Megan will not let me keep it in the kitchen. It has to stay in the garage. Cause is it really big? Yeah. Okay. So really you brought big. you you bought like an old school barista commercial grade grinder is what it sounds like. Commercial grade burr grinder. Yes. But man, let me tell cool. you, so, coffee's consistent. So that now. thing, if it was that expensive, can probably do espresso as well, right? It can do espresso. It can do drip. It can do all of it. Yeah, that's so, amazing. I, I think this is a good point to say anyone listening, we'd really like to hear from you. Direct message at Heritage Home Investments on Instagram, direct message DLECO on Instagram. Tell us what would you do with a couple extra hundred dollars to your house every day? Because honestly, that's actually the result of analyzing a great deal. Getting a great deal is the way that you can build wealth and a lot of lot of wealth right away in real estate investing. Yep. I'd love to hear what some people say. I wonder if we've got some coffee drinkers listening. I'm sure we do. Yeah. And if we do, tell us what kind of coffee you like to drink. Tell us about you. I love it. So when it when it comes to analyzing a deal, can you give like a very quick breakdown of just in general, high level, what are the basics? You need, there's a couple components key components to analyzing a deal that you need to have a general knowledge base on a arv after repair value uh, rehab estimate is another piece that's going to be important those two pieces in and of itself can get you a really good base of where you need to be in buying this property you need to know what it's going to be worth when it's done but you also need to know what it's going to take in terms of rehab to get it close to that ARV number. So those are two very important numbers that you need to familiarize yourself with. Um, ARV is one of, it is a tricky one, but also so is getting any kind of a rehab number. It's, it, it is, it's a tricky task to figure out, but there are ways to do it quickly and easily. So, okay. In other words, there's a basic formula. You've got the after repair value, which you can get by looking at similar properties, similar square footage, similar beds and bath within a mile radius, for example. And you see what those sold for in the last, what, three months? And that's how you could get an estimate on after repair value, right? Correct. Now, check out the pictures too, because if somebody sold a property that was not in good condition, you would want to exclude that from your calculation of ARV. Yep. Then you subtract your repair costs. And then you'd also subtract your profit. And then, then that's when you would offer that final number. Is that correct? Three-part formula. Yeah, it's three parts. So you have your ARV minus... Uh, ARV, you're going... We got to talk about the 70% too. So you're never, you're never going 100% ARV... So let's say an example, we're going to use $100,000. Let's say you've got a property that could be worth $100,000 when it's all said and done. And you're going to take that times 70%. And so you're going to have 30% equity in the deal when completed. You take that number, which would be 70000 
minus your repairs, minus your assignment fee, that gives you what your offer price is. Now, for me, I usually tell all of our sales reps, like that's the, you could say the term maximum allowable offer, but like that's the most I would want to pay for that house. So always go under that to allow yourself a little bit of room to come up. Love it. So 70% is like the oops factor. If you misestimate the repair costs or you misestimate the ARV, that seven that that 30% is actually the oops factor. It's also the profit margin, but it gives you a little bit of cushion. Now, if you're a brand new wholesaler, how do you know what you would leave yourself for an assignment fee? Because you said it's ARV minus 30% for the profit, minus the repair cost, minus your assignment fee, and that's your offer price. Yeah, your assignment fee can vary. Um, when I first started doing this, the assignment fee, my what I knew of the assignment fee was just $5,000. Just put $5,000 on for your assignment fee. As I have evolved in this business, I have learned that the assignment fee can literally be anything. Like you could, we've done deals for five, 10, 15, 20, 25,000. It can, it really depends on what, margin you have left if you have a house that is a hundred thousand dollar house and it needs five thousand dollars in repairs you know that you've got a lot of wiggle room here now if i'll give you this story this is everybody likes to hear stories i like to tell them so i had a house on it was downtown saint joe when i walked up to this house as a postcard lead of course guy calls got a postcard from you and I immediately go out and I look at the house. As I'm parked in the street, the old man is sitting there sweeping the sidewalk. And immediately I'm like, man, this guy's taking care of this house. He's meticulous enough to sweep the sidewalks. We're probably going to be very far apart on price. Then I go inside and the house is literally immaculate. I imagined my grandma's house just being perfectly clean and spotless everywhere. New countertops, new cabinets new stove, new fridge. I'm just like, there's no way I'm going to be able to pull this off. I asked the guy, I'm like, how much are you wanting to get out of this property? And the shock and all happens. If a guy would offer me $14,000 for this, I'd be happy. No way. You just asked him how much would you want? Yeah. I, I immediately ran out to the truck. I grabbed a contract. I filled out all the information, the purchase price. And I literally, I told him, I'm like, let's go to title today and let's close this today. And we it actually ended up being the next day that we closed. But in less than 24 hours, I got I made my offer, or he essentially gave me the offer of fourteen thousand. This house appraised at sixty-seven thousand dollars. So those are the types of situations. It's like the house didn't need anything. I immediately rented it out for seven twenty-five a month upon buying it. Didn't need to do wow. anything. Didn't need anything at all. The well, why did he I actually did want to do, get rid of it? So he, this was his house like growing up and he had kept it and had maintained it and kept it nice. He originally, he said he wanted to rent it out, but just he was 90 years old. The idea of trying to rent a property to somebody became too daunting for him. So he just wanted to sell it. And 14 okay. was what he had paid for it when he originally got it. So I'm like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Now, okay. he could have easily said a completely higher number, and it would have still been a great deal. But 
it's just one of those situations. It's like you kind of want to ask first. And I don't mm-hmm. necessarily subscribe to the idea of the first person to throw out a number loses. I don't necessarily believe that's true. But I definitely think that it gives you an idea of where you need to be with your offer. Was he in a hurry to sell it? Yeah, I mean, it, he he didn't act like he was in like an immediate rush to do it, but he responded to the postcard and was was ready. Like he, the fact that I said, "Yeah, I'm ready to do this today," and he was willing to do that. So I, there wasn't like a emergency situation that he had to sell it, but he was ready to sell it. He wanted to be done. Yeah, with none it. that he shared with you, at least. Right. Because that's so often that's so often the proposition is, hey, you know, we may not be the highest price. And I've even said this, but I can offer you speed and convenience. If if you're wanting to settle debts on your parents' estate in the next 30 days, because some of those are coming due, I'm gonna be your guy. I can definitely close this house within 15 days. And here's how. What's interesting so- is this guy was so eager to sell. Um, And that's actually my favorite part about using direct mail, by the way, because you said he responded to a postcard is I, I get very energized by that. I don't like to be told no. And when you cold call or door knock, you get told no a lot of times. Um, And I love that direct mail when somebody's calling you, it's typically just, Hey, take me off your list, please. Or, Hey, can you give me an offer? I'm really interested. And so the ratios of yeses to nos from direct mail is always higher. Yeses to me. And I like that. Yeah, I agree. I've always, I mean, everybody knows by now I've been mostly direct mail on all my marketing. And it's so fun because, you know, on a direct mail, when they're calling you, there is some motivation to sell right there. It's it's either they're motivated or they're, tell, they're calling to tell you to take them off their list. Those are the two responses. If they did not have any level of interest in selling, they would not call you, period. So if your phone rings from a postcard, it's like that is a warm lead. That is an opportunity to capitalize and get there and lock up a deal. So knowing quickly how to analyze a deal and knowing how to get to your number point is very important. If you want to lock up that deal then, which who doesn't want to lock up a deal right at the, at the moment that you're there? Like that is the, the one time that you have their undivided attention. If they say yes to something, get it done. That is what a motivated seller sounds like, right? It's like very easy. It's very easy. You're not convincing anyone to do anything. You're making an offer and they're taking it. So what are some of the downsides of misanalyzing a deal? Let's say that you're a little bit nervous because you're going to make it your first offer on one of these properties. You get it under contract. And then if you're wholesaling it, you just can't find anyone to actually buy it. What do you do in that situation? And has that ever happened to you? Yeah, misanalyzing hap- still happens to this day. Sometimes we over um, overvalue or overestimate the rehab costs. Um, and like that makes, you could take, I want to run numbers on this actually. So let's say you have a $100,000 house, you run 70% of the ARV. So that takes you at 70,000. Now at that 70,000, let's say you miss and overestimate or underestimating rehab costs is always the worst. So let's go with that. So let's say the house you estimated as, oh, it needs $15,000 in um, repairs. So that takes you to 55 minus your assignment of 10,000. Underestimating is so 
often happens. So that takes you to 45K maximum allowable offer, right? And I always say go under that. So you're going to be like, let's say 40,000. You're going to make an offer of 40,000. They might actually take that. You want to know why they're going to take that? Because they know that it needs more work than what you're saying. So the reality, you locked up a deal too high because you you underestimated your repairs. So if you were to be, if you found a way to estimate your repair costs accurately and you're starting out at 70,000 and this house actually needs 35,000 instead of 15, minus your $10,000 assignment, your offer price looks significantly different. 40,000 versus 25,000. That's a big gap. Yeah. But that's the gap so, for an investor coming in saying, is this a good deal? If you show that house to somebody and they're like, where do you get $15,000 for repairs? Because I'm like looking at it and I'm seeing $35,000 in repairs. It needs this, this, and this. The, the big ticket items, I think we've talked about that before. Like knowing an average for the big ticket items, electrical, water, HVAC, a roof, like all four of those need done before you even start painting the walls inside. So like that is where it does take some time to, to hone in on like estimating rehab costs, whether that's just a simple formula of $35 per square foot for this level, 45 for this level, 55 for this level, but having some basis to get you to a ballpark an accurate ballpark when you're walking or analyzing a property okay, this needs this, this, and this, that's going to tell you a close, you want to be as close to accurate as you can on rehab costs because that can absolutely make or break a deal. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually offered on this house 55000 at first, and I felt like a little bit weird because that was a pretty low offer when I knew this house ARV was 160. But then I realized that they had smoked cigarettes and that the walls had permeated through with that cigarette smoke. And you can't just paint over that. That smoke will continue seeping through new paint. So then I had to drop it $10,000 more after I had it under contract. And I called them back and I said, hey, I've had a few days to have contractors run through this house and get estimates. And I'm not really sure how to say this news. It's, um, it's not great news. Like, how, do you, how would you like me to deliver this? And he was like, well, just come out with it. And I said, well, I really wanna do this deal. I've gotta do it at 44 instead of 55. And here's why this drywall needs replaced or it needs some type of really expensive commercial treatment to get rid of that cigarette smoke. And so he kind of paused, he took a day. And then I think he finally came back and grumbled, but he was like, let's do the deal. And so we got it done at 44,000. So one of my cases, I misestimated at first, got in there for the inspections, realized it was more than what I had actually estimated at first. And so I had to drop the offer price and he still took it, which was great. That's awesome. We lost a deal this week due to overestimating rehab costs. Mm, like it I'm really was sorry a, to hear that. An ARV, like we said, ARV was about 145. And mm -hmm. like you just learned. So 145 times 70%, that takes you to 10150. I said repair costs at 80,000 because it needed everything. It needed electrical, plumbing, all of those things. So that took me down before an assignment fee down to 21.5. So then I put a 10K assignment fee on there, 11.5. So I made my offer at 11.5.
And the guy came back at 16, and I'm just like, man, it's too tight. I don't think I can do this. The next day, the house sold to another investor, and I'm just like, what? Why did I miss that? Well, then I'm looking mm-hmm. at my numbers, and I've done a duplex that was a complete gut, like on both sides, and the rehab cost was 92000 for both sides to be completely rehab. Well, why would a single-family house, less square footage, cost eighty that needed complete gutted, and a duplex that was double the square footage, double everything, needed ninety two. I'm like, I overestimated my. If I would have done that better, imagine like a one forty five ARV times seventy percent rule minus what would have realistically been fifty five thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Minus my ten k assignment, I would have gotten that deal. My offer would have been r- right around thirty six. I probably could have came in at twenty eight and locked it up. And I missed it because I overestimated my rehab cost. I see it after the fact. I'm like, well, duh. Why would a house be almost as expensive as a duplex? Yes. I will say this. If I were wholesaling, I'd probably overestimate the rehab cost too. But hopefully I'd be able to make it as a bigger assignment fee if I were able to get those deals. One thing I realized is a lot of these investors who buy from wholesalers typically, in my experience, they have a lower standard of rental mm-hmm. property than I do, for example. Yeah. yeah like I, I, I really, I really like to have a little bit nicer than rental grade in there. So my rehab costs are going to be a little bit higher, but typically the properties I'm seeing get sold by wholesalers. I mean, and you're, you're selling these, so you could speak from your own experience, but at least in Indianapolis, you know, I, I end up seeing them go from higher than what would make sense for me. And then I see them, finished at pro, you know like lower grade more rental grade than I would and that's just my personal preference so um that's kind of why I look for deals myself and go direct to seller what yeah. about your experience in St. Joe so i think we fall in that same category of we have a certain standard that we expect our properties to be and i definitely think that that has limited us in like our offerings it's made our our offers be a little bit lower than what other people are. And so you de- you definitely need to keep tabs on that kind of thing because if other people are locking up deals after you've made offers, then that's a symptom that your, your offer is off somewhere. Mm-hmm. Whether it's because yes. you're calculating rehab costs too high. And I know because I'm fresh off of this mistake. Like I, I made the mistake of this is our standard. So that's what everybody else's standard is going to be. But not but every not. investor is that way. Right. And yeah. Like a lot, I think a lot of hedge funds will buy these properties at way higher than what would make sense for me. Right. Cause I think they're just trying to make an appreciation game and get as Correct. much exposure to properties as possible. So that's an yep. example where just their filter through how they're making decisions is totally different than mine. Yep. Just like somebody who's selling their house quickly, it's like, man, I wouldn't do that. But they're viewing the world through a different lens. They've got a different pain and a different life situation that they just totally want to be done with. And they're willing to take a discount for that. And that's why the business model works. Yep. One thing that I found really helpful when I was starting out is when you're making an offer, if you don't feel uncomfortable with how low it is, you are probably not low enough. And so remember that when you're making your first few offers. That was a big thing that I remembered when I was making those offers. For example, 
one of the first, the first house I got direct to seller, which means it wasn't on the market. It wasn't listed for sale. I was going to make a $10,000 offer on it. It was a 6,000 square foot house in like a rundown neighborhood. But I knew this area was coming up because there was a planned five-year development called 16 Tech in Indianapolis, where they were going to build a lot of big apartments, a lot of big research facilities. And I knew researchers and students would be coming in to live here. And so I was like, okay, this is a good area, even though it's really, really rough right now. And so I was going to make an offer of $10,000, but I remembered that quote. I was like, if you don't feel uncomfortable with how low it is, it's probably not low enough. And I ran the numbers again, came to $4,000, $700, right? $4,700 is what I got that house for. And he accepted it. And so that was just a reminder. And I went over budget on my rehab. So it's a good thing that I did that. Um, I put about $65,000 into it. Um, and then it was worth $100,000. But that's just a reminder for anyone listening here who might be starting to make their first offers is remember that if you're not feeling uncomfortable, it's probably not low enough. Yep. True. Like it's, it's very, very good to be, to make yourself uncomfortable might lead to getting some of the best deals. Just mm -hmm. this is going to be so awkward. And honestly, if they're motivated, they're, there's going to be a response that's either going to be, hey, we're close, yes, or no, that doesn't work. And they're going to tell you why it doesn't work. They're also going to tell you where they were thinking they're going to be or need to be. Mm -hmm. So it's opening mm -hmm. that, making that offer is only just opening dialogue. That's all it's doing. So if you just look at making that offer, this is uncomfortable. Well, it's just a conversation starter. It's a, just a break. It's an icebreaker. Now, if you get lucky and, and, they accept your offer. Sweet. If it's just an icebreaker, like we're saying, it's just starting the dialogue and then you can negotiate with them. And in the art of, you know, making a negotiation, finding out what they have, where they need to be, what you have, what you need to be, and then putting the two together. And as long as you can get close and as long as the numbers are still making sense, it can be a deal. So let's cover that formula before we wrap up here real quick. So it is the after repair value when you look at similar homes that sold and then you minus 30% for the profit margin. That's right. for doing the actual work and then minus the repair costs and then minus your assignment fee, which at a minimum should be $5,000 can be larger depending on what type of deal you're able to lock up. And that is your formula for analyzing a deal and making your offer. There it is. Short, sweet, and simple. Anything else, Ryan, before you go back and do that $2,000 grinder you love in your garage? Uh, I've already done it for the day. But, yeah. No, I, I don't. I just want to – I do, do want to be encouraging to everyone to, just like we said there at the end, like be uncomfortable because good deals come come from a level of discomfort. So be uncomfortable with where your offers are. Um, and you can even let that be authentic. Like you can let them see the, how uncomfortable you feel in making that offer, because that's just going to build tr true authentic trust with that seller. Like, gosh, this, I hate doing this part. This making an offer is like the worst part because of the way it makes you it feel is. like the anxiety that you feel on that. But what can happen after that moment is what can make you money because you don't know what it, their response is going to be. They may be like, Oh gosh, it. that's a, that's an amazing offer. I'll take it. Or, well, 
could you come up to maybe an extra five cal five five k? Maybe you came under five k on your initial offer. So yeah, absolutely, I can do that. Yeah. So so yeah, making the offer is what makes or breaks if you'll make or lose money on a deal. So this is a really important part. But don't overthink it. Use this simple formula and know that you can renegotiate if you have to. And right. we're out of time. I hope this episode was very helpful for you. And I know if you guys follow this formula and start making offers, you will be successful. I'm David Lecco at DLecco on Instagram. Ryan Haywood is at Heritage Home Investments. And we will see you next time for how to find buyers for your amazing real estate deal. If Let's you're go. one that wants to wholesale and make cash on our very next episode. So stay tuned. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please leave us a review and follow along wherever you're listening to your podcast.